Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about emotional triage, how to stay mentally healthy, strong, and balanced amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. My guest today is Professor Catherine A. Sanderson. We are focusing on finding happiness, or at least finding some semblance of contentment in the world as it is right now. I don't know if you know this, you probably don't, but the uh, the results from the most recent World Happiness Report are in, the 2020 report is in, and my friend and past guest on the show, Katherine Anderson said, hey, let's connect and talk about the report and talk about what's going on with COVID-19. So today's episode is completely on the fly, stream of consciousness, getting the best of two women who have a lot to say about happiness. Catherine A. Sanderson is the Manuel Family Professor of Life Sciences at Amherst College. Her book, The Positive Shift, examines how mindset influences happiness, health, and even how long we live. Catherine's latest book, Why We Act, Turning Bystanders into Moral Rebels, which examines why good people so often stay silent or do nothing in the face of wrongdoing. She also writes a blog for Psychology Today, Norms Matter, that examines the power of social influence on virtually all aspects of our lives. You can connect with Catherine, and I'll give you all of that stuff actually at the break, but we're going to connect with Catherine now. So Catherine, let's just like jump right into this subject. First of all, let's acknowledge that the World Happiness Study, the report is out uh, for 2020, and the surprising answer of the most happy country in the world, at least until now, <laughs> is, drumroll, well, I guess the the least surprising finding is it's not the United States. Right. Uh, and and it is Finland. Uh, and I really should say it is Finland once again. Yeah. Were they last year? They were. Yeah. And pretty much they're always in the top five. I mean, so, you know, it, it kind of jumps around a little bit. But it's always something like Finland, Norway, Denmark. Sweden, etc. Yeah. Denmark, exactly. Yes. You know. Yes. yes. The usual suspects, as we would say. Absolutely. And the reason why Finland scores so high, I'm probably going to n not pronounce this properly, is, is it situ, situ? I have no idea. So we'll just go with whatever you think is best. S-I-T-U, which means? Which means really grit. I mean, so it means the perspective on being able to be hardy, to be able to maintain a positive outlook. And I think that clearly is one factor. 
Yeah. And when we talk about grit, resiliency, hardiness, the ability to bounce back when things go wrong, I think that this is the perfect opportunity, the times in which we are living for all of us to either exercise the copious amounts of grit that we already have or learn to become more gritty. And one of the key findings from the research in positive psychology is that experiencing some adversity actually helps us build those skills. So there's interesting research showing that people who have basically had stress-free lives don't tend to feel as happy as people who've experienced between two and six major life events, getting divorced, getting fired, uh, experiencing a major illness or disease. And one of the reasons for that is that experiencing adversity can actually have tremendous benefits. Well, it teaches us to be stronger emotionally. It teaches us that that things don't remain the same, right? So we have a, a negative event that happens to us and inevitably time passes and things do get better. Which is a really important finding, right? Because it allows us to think, okay, whatever's going on right now, it won't always be this way. Yes. So when we translate this to the current circumstances, that being this COVID-19 virus that is really sweeping the world and people's lives have and continue to be upended by this. And there is no real end in sight at the moment. There's an idea of an ending, right? After a period of weeks that there will be a morning after the people are feeling frazzled. And people are feeling frazzled across multiple levels. So people are feeling frazzled at a personal level. Is my health going to be okay? Is the health of my loved ones going to be okay? People are also feeling frazzled at a professional level. So many people have lost income. People may be worried about where they are going to be financially. And for some people, this situation is also putting additional stress on relationships. So we're all spending a lot more time for better or for worse. Uh, with family members who we maybe would see some, but not 24-7. And so there's sort of multiple levels at which stress may be impacting us. And in addition to that, the flip side is, uh, and you and I talked about this before we began the show, that I'm finding this quirky little comfort in knowing that I am not alone. Like in the past recession, when the world went to hell in a handbasket, You know, some people did okay and some people didn't. In this situation, we are all in it together. There's not a person that is not affected by this. Yes. And in that sense, there is a real sense of social solidarity, right? That other people do totally know what we're going through. When we experience personal loss, so the death of a loved one, we often feel isolated in part because we think, other people just don't really understand what I'm going through. Yeah. But the reality is pretty much everybody understands what we're all going through because we're all experiencing virtually the same thing. And some of us are doing better than others. You and I also talked about that, that, that some people who, who may have had more experience with adversity may be taking this more in stride than others who don't or who haven't. Absolutely. And as I shared with you earlier, I have a friend who was living in New Orleans at the time of Hurricane Katrina. And she emailed me a few nights ago and said, pretty much, I'm doing great. You know, I got this because I lived through Hurricane Katrina when I had no idea how things were going to be. 
And that really gave me a sense of perspective and the recognition that no matter how things seem, they really will get better. So I do think in a sense, people who have undergone some kind of difficult experiences have probably developed an ability to find some silver lining and to see this current situation as somewhat less stressful. It's funny you talk about your friend in Louisiana. We have a colleague, a team member at Harvesting Happiness who lives in Caracas, Venezuela. She's been with us for many years and she's in her 20s and she's like taking it all in stride. And if you look at the political climate in Venezuela and the difficulties that the citizens of Venezuela have endured for the last several years, this little virus is nothing. <laughs> right. Well, that sort of speaks to, you know, the old expression, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's like, yeah, we're under quarantine. We've got food. You know, one of us goes out and gets the food and, you know, we're with our family and we know it's going to pass. And I think what a model and what a, a beautiful attitude that this young woman possesses to understand that there's certain things that she can control, right? The provisions that she brings into the household, the attitude that she carries with her, but she can't control the virus. She can't control the restrictions. Right. Well, and, and that's the old AA saying, right? The wisdom to know the difference. But what things can I control? What things can I not control? And the wisdom to know the difference. And I think for many people who have a tendency, and I put myself in this category, to be sort of a control freak, this situation is really, really challenging because no one has any control over anything other than their own physical behavior. But yeah. we can't control how long it's going to last. We can't control when things can get back to normal. And so that setting in and of itself is really anxiety provoking, especially for some people. And I think that's what's contributed to the run on toilet paper. It's like, you know, when the world is going upside down, well, if I can just get enough toilet paper in the house, I'm going to feel okay. Right. My, my <laughs> husband's equivalent of that is um, bottles of chocolate milk. For some reason, he's decided that that's what's going to get him through this. And so I can't even describe the number of those little tiny, you know, single serving chocolate milk containers we have. But every time he goes out, he returns with another 10. And I, I think he's the only person who's dealing with the pandemic by buying chocolate milk repeatedly. But I think that if we all have, you know, one of those little uh, comfort items, you know, for me, it's honesty, this, this green honey tea that I love, like, and I feel okay. I've got, you know, three cases and I'm good. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and <laughs> that's a sense, as you noted, where doing something that you feel, okay, as long as I have this, I'm going to be okay. That that belief in and of itself is very important for health and happiness. Well, it is part of the placebo effect maybe, but not, it's, it's really not a placebo. It's like, you know, wherever you focus your attention, you already know this. I mean, we're talking like, you know, two gals here, wherever we focus our attention, we will find ourselves. So if we're, if we're hyper-focused on the gloom and doom and the what ifs of the dark side and not seeing, balancing it out with any of the, well, I've got plenty of toilet paper, plenty of chocolate milk, plenty of ice cream tea. I've got the people I love. I, I have, you know, unlimited access to the internet right now. If we, as a world, don't break it down, you know, <laughs> from overuse, right. that's another fear, right? That we're going to break the internet. Well, and certainly there are households, mine included, in which there are simultaneously times in which two or three people are trying to be 
teaching a Zoom class or taking a Zoom class. And certainly I would say that the internet is probably stressed in many homes these days in ways that it has not typically been. I had signed in yesterday to our local provider because I wanted to figure out how to watch TV on a, another laptop and take, you know, take it to another place. And, um, it was having a warning that California's internet it was, it's spectrum was down. Oh. And I'm thinking, Oh my God. <laughs> and that I think would really send people for a loop, right? I do. I agree with you. Yeah. I completely agree. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Katherine Sanderson. We're talking about the World Happiness Report, surviving COVID-19. Um, and I'd love when we come back, Catherine, to get into some positive psychology interventions that each and every one of us should consider when we're trying to manage through this struggle. To learn more about the work of Catherine Sanderson, please go to sandersonspeaking.com. And on Instagram, that handle is Sanderson Speaking. On Twitter, Sanderson Speaks. Very good. Very good. You got it. <laughs> and we'll be right back. That's a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we are back. I'm talking with my guest today, Catherine A. Sanderson, about emotional triage, how to stay mentally healthy, strong, and balanced amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's return to the conversation. And we are back. I'm getting to hang out with my friend, Professor Catherine A. Sanderson. We're talking about the most recent World Happiness Report of 2020 that cites Finland as being the happiest country in the world. But while that's just interesting information, what we're really talking about, how to manage stress and anxiety amidst the COVID-19 breakout and how our lives have been upended, you know, by this invisible germ. Upended and and really for an uncertain period of time. Yes. So it's not like a snow day when it's, you know, two or three days of snow and no school and roads are closed. It, I think the uncertainty has also magnified the stress for many people. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about positive psychology interventions and how we can apply them to better manage in the crisis or the moment. So I think the first thing I want to say is it's really important for people to recognize that this is not a one-size-fits-all approach because different people, frankly, find different things inducing happiness and positive psychology. So I always like to throw out a few options because I really want people to think about what works for them and not to beat themselves up if somebody says, well, you should just meditate and they're not a meditator, for example. <laughs> yes. I'm doing the eye roll because that's the one, the one that I hear from everybody. You want me to meditate? I'm like, yeah, ideally I do, but I know that it doesn't work for everybody. Well, and, and I think that's the challenge is that when people are told, well, you need to do this. And if you don't do this, you know, you're wrong or you're failing at being happy. That, of course, is not effective. And so I do think the most important strategy first is for people to acknowledge that what works for your best friend or your sister or your husband may not be the thing that works for you. And so people should actually take some time to think about what's the thing that's going to make them feel best. 
Uh, and let's talk about structure, because to me, regardless of where we're at, where we come from, what the story is, having some sense of structure to our days is a really useful tool. Yes, absolutely. And and that's in part, um, as you and I spoke about earlier, is because structure gives us a sense of control. There is so much in this situation that we cannot control. So if there are ways that we can cling to, well, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to make my bed and then I'm going to do my exercise like I would normally do in a gym, but instead I'm going to do this, you know, home workout. Um, and then I'm going to have my green tea or whatever it is. That's a sense in which you are structuring your day, which is especially important since most of us have no natural structure whatsoever in our day these days. But we humans, like our kids when they're young, thrive on structure, right? If they, they know it's Monday and on Mondays you do X, Y, and Z, to have that certain sense of knowingness to each day is really helpful. Absolutely. And, and in fact, in light of that, I reached out to you on Friday. We're recording this on a Monday. I reached out to you on Friday and I said, hey, you know, why don't we talk about this? And you got back to me in, in what, about 30 seconds? I mean, it was like, yes. I was like, yes. <laughs> you were like, thumbs up. And, and then we both had this, frankly, to look forward to over the weekend. And I think that's a really important example of how little things, you know, this is very normative for you to do. This is very normative for me to do. And creating these sorts of things in our schedules is a way to anticipate positive things. And whatever that might be, that might be, you know, having a virtual meetup and have coffee or wine with a friend. It could be touching base with work colleagues or your kids if you're not physically in the same space as them. But what's really important is that you do set up those sorts of things to anticipate that give your life structure and routine these days. And there are so many innovative ways that people are creating virtual platforms for the things that they do, whether it is tutoring for the kids, therapy, yoga classes, any other workout class, I attended a virtual dance party on Saturday afternoon that was so much fun. Oh, great. My daughter is 15 and uh, takes ballet very seriously. And her ballet teachers have recorded a video from what appears to be their dining room and have sent it all to people. And she's, you know, diligently practicing and, you know, posting videos of her doing the exercises, et cetera. All of that stuff is really a wonderful way to connect. And even you with your students, you were talking about sort of the the delay in going to an online platform because everybody feels very invested in their craft as a, a teacher, as a professor, as a mentor, and then how you're finding the experience, which was more pleasant maybe than you anticipated. Absolutely. And what's been interesting for me is that I am a professor and I'm also the mom of two sons who are in college right now. One is a freshman and one is a junior. And what's been interesting is that I've been on various chat rooms on social media with some fellow parents in my role of, you know, wearing a parent hat. And people have said, well, you know, it's really not fair that, you know, we're not getting a tuition reimbursement or something because, you know, the teachers are just teaching online now and that's not what we signed up for. Whoa. But the reality is, can you believe it? That's literally been a discussion. But but the reality is all faculty across the country are going to great lengths to try to create uh, lectures, to try to create PowerPoints that have our Zoom meetings that people are teaching online. And in fact, it's been 
frankly, pretty enjoyable. So I'm teaching this semester a class in sports psychology, and I had intended to give a midterm exam and a final exam. Of course, that's very hard to do, you know, electronically for lots of reasons. So instead, I pulled up some famous sports movies, so things like Miracle and Bull Durham, and I'm having students do an analysis of how the concepts they've learned in class are shown in these films. So that's a way of them integrating the knowledge that they've learned with something that I think will be entertaining and enjoyable for them. And this is the way that I think lots of faculty across the country are trying to learn new skills and give students the very best experience they can, even in these trying times. And when we talk about, you know, how we learn, I mean, this is a living laboratory. There's never been anything like this before. And it's, there's a learning curve for everyone. What I don't, my kids have said that they really enjoy online learning. In fact, they prefer it because it's more convenient for them and they know they need to do the work. They know what the expectations are. The challenge remains for one of my kids in the laboratory environment because it's pretty hard to have an organic chemistry lab when you, you've kind of got, a, <laughs> got pop up online learning, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine. So I, I wasn't that good at chemistry when it was not online. So I can't imagine it going better that way. Well, I am impressed that my daughter is, first of all, liking organic chemistry. I'm like, huh, that's not from my gene pool. That's the other side. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, moving on with some other interventions, because, you know, having routine ritual to the day, and, and you saying that um, it works a little bit differently for, for different people. But the basic intervention, some of the basic skills that positive psychology research has told us is that when we stay, let's say, for example, in a place of gratitude or appreciation or recognition for the things in life that do go right. Absolutely. And the reality is this situation does have some real positives. So people are really enjoying being able to do things that maybe they haven't really had the time to do. People who aren't commuting all of a sudden may feel like they have extra hours in their day in that sense. Uh, people are picking up pleasure books. And I think that's actually a really exciting thing that there's been lots of sharing on social media about independent bookstores saying, hey, you know, we ship too. It's not just, you know, the big you know, famous companies, which will remain nameless. I think it's also a time in which many people are saying, hey, I'm going to do something new. I heard somebody, I think on Twitter say, I can teach people how to knit or crochet if anybody wants to. I could do a video. So, so cool, right? Well, I mean, you shared with me before. What did you do earlier today? Oh, I baked bread for the first time in my life. I mean, like a beautiful, (laughs) like, like legit (laughs) loaf of bread. But but so there's an example, isn't it? You could have done this. You had the same ability to do this, you know, a year ago or five years ago or whatever. But today you chose to do it. And and those are the kinds of things that I think are really important to recognize and being able to focus not on what I can't do. I can't go to the gym. You know, I can't go to my college class. You know, I can't go to my yoga studio. Instead, focusing on what can you do? Yes. And there are a lot of things that we can do. I mean, here's another item. When we talk about self-care in the realm of positive psychology, how about sleep and rest? Right. And and to me, I was going to say, I think the two most fundamentally important things that we all need to keep in mind, really all of us, are sleep and also exercise. Because this is a stressful situation. And the reality is eventually things will get back to normal. And we need to have our immune systems 
being very strong so that when we head out into the world, we are going to stay healthy. And if we know someone who's exposed or if we, in fact, are exposed ourselves, we need to have a strong immune system in order to be able to fight off that infection and that virus and recover. So I think getting into sleep, we know that's extraordinarily important. And so is doing some kind of exercise. Yes, yes. Sleep, exercise, eating sound nutrition. I think that mm-hmm. um, that is another thing that since a lot of us have more time on our hands, we can take more care in the cooking and the quality of the foods that we're making. I mean, that I know for us that there's been a lot of focus as we prepared to go on lockdown because we're caring for a 95 year old in the house. So like mm-hmm. we, we had to be vigilant about preparing for this. And so it was really like get healthy stuff in the house. Cause we know if the junk's yeah. there, we are going to eat it. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and, and frankly, we all have some time to cook. So, you know, maybe things, Oh, do I really have time to make a two hour soup? Well, you know what? You do have time now. Yeah. <laughs> you actually could try that new recipe. Yep. Yep. So yes, the, um, the rest, the, um, the, uh, the nutrition, the exercise, trying new things, you know, uh, you know, picking up a hobby or going back to a hobby that you once had, but lost the time to do. We can retrieve that during this time. Absolutely. And I'll circle back to one point that you made earlier, and this is about the sleep. I think it's extraordinarily important for people to remember to put away their phones or iPads or laptops or whatever for at least a couple hours before they're going to bed. Because a lot of the news on social media is really pretty anxiety provoking. Oh, let's see the updated virus numbers or, you know, et cetera. Who's the latest celebrity uh, who's been diagnosed? And so I think it's really important to remember that especially in the evening, we know that being anxious before going to bed, spending time on social media uh, right before trying to sleep, it really makes it much harder to have a restful night of sleep. So I do think, you know, for a couple hours before going to sleep, you know, watching a, a funny show or reading a book or magazine or hanging out with your spouse, all of those are better choices than circling through Twitter. Yeah. A- amen to that. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Professor Catherine A. Sanderson. To learn more about Catherine's work, please visit sandersonspeaking.com. And on Instagram, you can find her at Sanderson Speaking and on Twitter, Sanderson Speaks. Here comes the pause and we'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. back exploring the meaning of emotional triage, what it means to stay mentally healthy, strong, and balanced amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're also talking about the results of the most recent 2020 World Happiness Report that places the Finns above the Americans. Let's return to the conversation with Professor Catherine A. Sanderson. We are back talking about happiness in 2020, even amidst the COVID-19 virus. My guest today is Professor Catherine A. Sanderson, 
who is the Manuel Family Professor of Life Science, that's psychology, at Amherst College. She is the author of several books. One is The Positive Shift, and her newest is, here we go, Why We Act, Turning Bystanders into Moral Rebels. Catherine, let's talk about the narrative. Everybody's got a story about what they're going through right now and how much of the storytelling impacts our reality or the experience. So I think it's important to remember that we all have a choice about how do we frame these circumstances. We can frame it in terms of how horrible this is, how stressful, what is lost. We can also frame it in terms of what is gained and the way in which we can do so in a positive manner. And of course, lots of research suggests the power for happiness and health of doing that kind of a positive reframe. So the attitude is everything. Is the glass half full or is it half empty? Both are true. Both are true. Both are true. Yes. And, and, and they may be, and they may be true for different people living in the same household, that for people who are focusing on the anxiety and the fear and other people who are sort of more optimistic in their framing. So I think it's important to recognize that people have a different natural tendency. But even for people who do not naturally find the silver lining, this is really a time to develop those skills. Yes. And I think it's important to really bring up that happiness or positive emotion requires muscle toning, right? It's you, that you have to sort of feed those muscles the, the things that it takes to strengthen them. So it's a practice. It is. Now, for some people, it happens more naturally than other people. Just like, you know, some people are naturally more flexible in their joints than are other people. So people may vary in their natural ability, but yes, all of us can get stronger and better at doing it with deliberate practice. Let's talk a little bit about the financial impact. I don't think there's a person that I know that is not financially impacted by what is going on. And the fear, when you sort of run the story to its bitter end, the fear is of you know, being homeless and without resources. I mean, that's where, where it goes to. It goes to a very primal level of scarcity. It does. And, and that it, I, I agree with you completely. And that is one of the things that worries me so much is that this is going to have a differential impact on different people. And there will certainly be, although everybody is going to be hurt financially, there are going to be some people who have more resources to be able to withstand that pain than other people. And that brings me to the idea of social service, uh, volunteerism, community, paying it forward, uplifting others that I think we're going to have a great opportunity to do as a result of this. I have been very, very impressed by what I've seen from many cities in which there's been an emphasis on making sure that kids are being fed. So I'm sure that you and your listeners have heard about all the school districts, you know, New York City, Boston, so on, the big districts saying, hey, you know, we're still serving these lunches. You can come yeah. and pick them up at, you know, 40 different, you know, locations. And and I think that was one of the reasons why K to 12 districts were so reluctant to close is that they weren't just worried about, are we going to be able to teach the kids, you know, math or, you know, science or writing? They were really worried about, are the kids going to get fed? And for kids that are relying on, in some cases, breakfast and lunch as, as two meals that are provided at school, 
I've been really heartened to see such an emphasis being placed nationwide on making sure that lower income kids are getting enough food. And there are some systems in place that now prevent foreclosures and evictions. I mean, all of that is on hold. So if somebody was in an, in an economic downturn, the pause button has been hit on that temporarily, which is not, you know, a final solution, but at least it eases the pressure. Absolutely. And and hopefully if we can buy people a little bit of time, a month, you know, two months, three months, some of the other programs that I think are being currently discussed, at least at the time that you and I are recording by the federal government, you know, sending families a check, you know, doing mortgage freezes, you know, whatever that is, some other things might be able to come into place over time that would also provide a little bit of support. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm hopeful for that. And then there is just the reality that for many of us, there will be less. I mean, for somebody that has a secure corporate position, they may be okay for a period of time. But somebody who's entrepreneurial may have a lessening in their income, and it might be very frightening. But the good news is in adversity, creativity is also ignited. And there's an opportunity, I think, for those of us who are willing to stretch a little bit to create something new and exciting that may be better than what we had before. And I also think, and your story earlier about baking bread reminded me of, I have a friend who lost her position. Uh, She was working as a substitute teacher. And of course, you know, there is no substitute teaching, you know, these days. And so she has posted on social media that she loves to bake bread. She's baking bread. And that she will drive it to your house and leave it, I think, you know, in your mailbox and it's $5 a loaf. So, um, and that's a way in which, and what was interesting is I saw it posted, um, my husband was asleep, so I didn't, you know, wake him up to ask if, you know, we wanted some bread. I woke up the next morning and she had, was no longer taking orders for this week. She's now up to next Monday if you want bread, because of course, who would not like to sit at home and have fresh baked loaf of bread up here? you know, in their mailbox. And so that's a way in which she's doing something that clearly she finds rewarding. It's her dad's famous recipe. And she's actually, you know, it's not going to provide health insurance or a 401k, but it certainly is going to give her a little bit of money that that I think is going to be important for her and her family. Which, you know, something you just said brought me to meaning making, you know, as, as we look at positive mm-hmm. psychology and some of the interventions, what you just described in this story with your friend using her dad's recipe. I don't know if her dad is alive or not, but there's something very meaningful and connected about that. Well, absolutely. And this is one of those times in which, you know, social media has gotten such a bad rap over the last year or two, right? That social media causes, you know, anxiety and depression and, you know, suicidal ideation. And it's, you know, this terrible thing. But this is really the kind of time in which I think social media has been extraordinarily useful at at making people connect. My husband and I have a a thing that we're doing during this uh, pandemic is that every other day we go out to some, get takeout from some independent, you know, local family-owned restaurant. And so we just alternate, you know, last night it was pizza, a couple of days before that it was Mexican. Um, and, And we're doing that as a way to try to support restaurants that we've really valued in our community over the last few years. And I'd never really given any thought to who are these people who own this Mexican restaurant that we go to. And all of a sudden on social media, 
I'm really starting to understand that these are people who are going to experience this as they are no longer allowed to, you know, serve people sitting in their restaurant, their lunch business is, you know, basically completely gone and so on. And it's actually really made me feel much more connected to my community. I have that same experience of social media now. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with it because I I see that the movie making that goes on and the social comparison and how that really does kill positivity for some of us. But, you know, the experience I had with this virtual dance party that was held by Daybreaker, I'm going to give Daybreaker a shout out because Rada Agrawal, the uh, founder of Daybreaker, has been a guest on the show. And 2,500 people showed up on 24 hours notice to dance together for two hours. Wow. Wow. From around the world. It was magnificent. (laughs) I mean, it was, it was a spiritual experience. I know that sounds goofy, but it was crazy. Like Mm -hmm. everybody just wanted to move and dance and got excited when somebody came in from another country and Mm -hmm. like so many countries were there. It was like, all right, this is, this is the internet being used at its best. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I bet we're going to continue to see examples of that, right? In terms of helping people who are in need, providing information, making people feel connected. And and that is really one of the powerful things. Uh, We are going to take a break in a minute. Um, But before we do, I want to ask you, what is the favorite thing in your day right now? So I have two dogs that I adore. And I will say that they are happy as can be right now because they have people home all the time. They are, and they are really a source. Every time I go down to try to write in my study, both of them come and curl up in their beds right beside me and they bring me joy every single moment. So it's, it's being, being connected to the animals and, and seeing their love of your attention. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not big. I mean, what you described is so beautiful and it's not big. It doesn't cost money. It is separate and distinct from your professional life. And it's something so, so lovely. Well, and I can share, I know that that we're on time right now, but I can also share, there's really interesting research showing that when you look into your dog's eyes, it increases a chemical, oxytocin, that is the bonding hormone. (laughs) And so it's also the case where honestly, I feel it's very, very good for my health. Well, especially since uh, we shouldn't be doing a lot of hugging right now, right? I mean, the people that you're in quarantine with, you know, hopefully everybody's healthy and there can be unlimited hugging there. But the fact that, you know, our animals can provide love and comfort and that snuggly experience is good for our health. Well, and there has been an outpouring in some, you know, mainstream media outlets have picked up on this. There's been an uh, outpouring of adoptions from local animal shelters and People say, I've always wanted to own a dog, but I'm not home enough to take care of a dog or to walk a dog or, you know, I I travel too much for work. And many animal shelters across the country are reporting that adoptions are just sky high right now as people either are adopting or they're fostering for, you know, a month or two months or however long this takes. And all of a sudden, these animals are having a home. Wow. Another silver lining. Absolutely. You know, and another silver lining on top of that silver lining is our clean air. Oh, that has been incredible. I I don't know if you've seen the pictures from Italy. Have you seen those? I have not, but I can only imagine because I've seen them from LA where the air is clear over the city where there's normally that gunky halo of schmutz. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, my uh, family spent Christmas, literally 2019 Christmas in Italy, and they have posted pictures of, in particular, the water around Venice, which of course is overwhelmingly, you know, polluted and dirty. And what they've shown, and they're wonderful pictures, if your listeners Google them, of marine life, of fish returning to the canals. Uh, One of them shows a dolphin and they say, you know, a dolphin has not been, you know, seen in the canals in something like 50 years. And so there is a sense in which all of this, you know, reduced plane travel and car travel and so on, is is just amazing for the world in a sense. Yeah, it's 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 giving the world a little rest, right? It's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's fascinating. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Professor Catherine A. Sanderson. To learn more about Catherine's work, please go to sandersonspeaking.com, on Twitter at Sanderson Speaks, and on Instagram Sanderson Speaking. Here comes a little pause, and we'll be back in a flash. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker. Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with Professor Catherine A. Sanderson about emotional triage, how to stay mentally healthy, strong, and balanced amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. We're also talking about that recent World Happiness Report that has uh, Finland in the number one position. We're going to explore where America stands in this whole equation as well. Let's get back to the conversation. And we are back talking about the application of positive psychology in crisis. My guest today is Professor Catherine A. Sanderson, who is the Manuel Family Professor of Life Sciences at Amherst College. You know, Catherine, I wanted to uh, share some of the hacks that you and I have been using as coping strategies throughout the COVID-19 crisis. In my family, a family member said to me, you know, you really need to be vigilant with that 22nd count with the hand washing. And they shared with me that one of their ways that they hacked this was they sang happy birthday to themselves. And that took them to 20 seconds. And I laughed. And then I actually (laughs) tried it. (laughs) And I was like, well, dang, that really does work. You know, it gives you the the good lather time. So if anybody's really wondering about really solid hand washing, which we should all be doing multiple times a day, every time we're handling anything, really, that might be one you want to try. 
And that one is important now. And by all accounts, it's going to be important for a long time to come. Forever, really, you know, that the hygiene is key. But that was just a silly little hack. I thought, oh, I have to, I have to share this somewhere because it's, it's too cute. And in fact, the family members said they were doing it in Spanish because it was a little bit longer when they sang it in Spanish. <laughs> ooh, ooh, that's impressive. <laughs> How about you? What are some hacks that you're doing? So my husband and I are actually doing something that we had done a number of years ago and then we dropped, but it's called the six minute workout. I don't know if you know that, but it was published a few years ago in the New York Times and it's literally a six minute workout in which you can do it with no equipment. So it doesn't require, you know, weights or a gym or anything. And, it, and there are 12 exercises. You do them for 30 seconds each and they alternate between, you know, jumping jacks and then push ups and then running in place and then planking and so on. And we have a blast doing it. You know, we set the timer and it's how we start our day. And it feels invigorating. It feels like you've gotten something done. And it, of course, it doesn't take a lot of time. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Let's let's start and think of some other hacks and maybe our listeners can, can share them on social media. Um, I know that there's been a lot of house cleaning going on at my place with the extra time, like I'm getting into the nooks and crannies, which is kind of interesting. Yes, I, I will. This is a, a funny example of this, but I went through a, a box that we had just put in a kitchen drawer that was full of takeout menus. Of course, this is like way before, you know, now we just, you know, Google on our phones to figure out, you know, what we're going to order. But I, so I went through these menus uh, to, to toss them into recycling. And I found the student directory for my daughter's elementary school. It was 2015, 2016. So I haven't obviously used this in four or five years. And that felt great. I now have a perfectly clean kitchen drawer. Oh, I love that. Yes, there, there is opportunity for so many things during this period of time. Let's go back to the happiness uh, report, the 2020 report that cited um, the Finns as being the happiest. These Scandinavian countries uh, consistently come in in number one position for a variety of reasons, I think having to do with grit, certainly the Finns talk about, but then the idea, is it huge or hige, where we sort of the coziness of, of looking after one another is mm -hmm. what the Danes talk about. What are some other areas that come up in this new study? So one thing that really struck me, and, and this is in part because I am a professor, and this is something that my college and many different colleges have focused on, is the role of belongingness that the Finns really feel connected to their community, uh, to their neighborhood, and they have a real sense of connection. And what we've seen in many college campuses is that students are often not necessarily feeling connected to their community in a college setting, which can have lots of unfortunate ramifications in terms of depression, loneliness, anxiety. And one of the things I've been working on over the last couple of years in collaboration with my students is to try to find ways to increase connection and belongingness. And there certainly is evidence that colleges and universities that do that show decreases in loneliness and higher rates of psychological well-being in students. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And as I'm looking at some of the details of this report, which I just realized that one of our colleagues, John Halliwell, is, is now running that project. And he's from the University of British Columbia in, in Vancouver. But they also talk about in the report, I want, I want to get to the, uh, the nut of it here because I'm looking here, that the U.S. is down in position. So the first report came out in 2012. 
And America was at its peak in 2012 in position 11. And now we have fallen. And guess where we're at? So I know, but it's sad. (laughs) It Uh, is sad. We're at 18. We're at 18. So the most, allegedly the most wealthy and abundant country of all is in a, a slipping position. And why is that? We should be so, happy. We have all these things. So what I uh, described, and I was uh, quoted in the the Friday New York Times, I guess that was, was it Friday the, the 20th, I think, if people want to look up the article. Um, what I said is that I don't think that America, by and large, and I know this is not true for you or your listeners, but I think by and large, America doesn't care about happiness. It's not something that we prioritize. And I think very clearly... America chooses what we want to focus on. So the example that I often give is that every year, just about this time, and I'm hoping maybe we won't see it this year, but every year about this time, there's some kind of news report that's widely picked up that describes some high school senior who's gotten into all of the Ivy colleges. And let's celebrate, you know, that. And and the reality is that that's not the kind of thing that we want to be celebrating as a society, that we really want to be focusing on people finding fulfillment and meaning and happiness. And I think we need to start placing a higher priority on that than on, you know, SAT scores, for example. Which one of the other silver linings of this is that the SATs have been temporarily suspended. <laughs> yes. And and I also, I will be very interested to see how high schools and colleges respond to this, because I know that there are many schools that are now going to just a pass fail for this semester, because it just isn't really possible for many people to teach and learn as effectively in this environment. And that doesn't mean that online learning can't be effective, but this is not like the ideal online learning because people are kind of doing it at the seat of their pants, not in the same sort of way. And students really vary in the extent to which they're going to be able to access that knowledge. So I think it will be fascinating to see if some colleges now say, you know what, we're going to go test optional. We're going to emphasize, you know, other kinds of things as a result. And the experience factor, like I think the most satisfied human beings are the ones that have a rich tapestry to their lives, right? That that the things they've experienced, they've been able to stitch together a blanket or a, a tapestry that really is the story of who they are. That this, if this didn't happen, they wouldn't be this kind of person. And if that didn't happen, they wouldn't have evolved to the other kind of person. And it's because of these things that we become more resilient. I, I want to just clarify. I think I said situ or situ. It's S-I-S-U. Sisu is what the Finns call the grit. Mm-hmm. Good. And yes, and I absolutely agree with that. And it's interesting in the sense that, you know, you and I are, are speaking about happiness and, and we got connected because I'd written this book, The Positive Shift, that talks about happiness. But I only started focusing on that, I have to be perfectly honest, after my mother died. So my mother died in 2004. She was 57 years old and she died of ovarian cancer after a very short illness. She was diagnosed at stage four and and died uh, four months later. Wow. And at the time, yeah, so it was, you know, it was a a tremendous loss. We were very close. Um, But at the time, you know, I was focusing on totally different things in my research and in my writing. And that to me was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call of, you know, how did I want to spend my life? 
you know, publishing academic articles in journals that were read by a small number of other people with PhDs. And, and I really shifted my focus and started talking about happiness and meaning because life is short and unpredictable. Clearly. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, the, the, this whole COVID-19, thank you. We're not happy you're here, but thank you for opening our eyes. I mean, I guess that is the silver lining too, that we have an opportunity to do it differently as a result of this life-altering experience that we're all going through at this time. And it really has forced us to say, well, what is important and, you know, what is not important? You know, I have a a number of, of college students who, you know, have said this is really just devastating. You know, this is their senior spring. And for some of them, it's their sports season. Yep. And by all accounts, you know, high school and college graduations are, you know, not going to be certainly happening or happening in the normal way that they would be happening. Obviously, there are people who've had, you know, weddings called off or, you know, postponed or, or you know, be poorly attended and so on. But the reality is it gives us a real wake up call in terms of appreciating every single day? And how do we want to be spending the time that we do have? Catherine, thank you so much. Thanks for reaching out. I want to just, first of all, start there that again, I'm so touched that you thought of me, the show, and that we could put it together so quickly and hopefully offer our listeners some real brain food, some real ideas, ways to make this journey through COVID-19 and the recovery, the aftermath a little bit more joyful might be a strong word at this point. People might be eye rolling if I were to say that. So just a little bit more comfortable. Well, and to be honest, I thought of reaching out in part because there's so much doom and gloom these days. And I know that for myself, I'm spending a lot of time listening to podcasts, listening to the radio as I walk around my house and I clean or I sort a closet. And I wanted to have people give people something positive and happy and affirming to listen to if they're doing the same throughout their days in quarantine. Um, I agree. And I, and I, I find doing these interviews through this personally really uplifting. It's never been busier because everybody's got time on their hands. So everybody that's been <laughs> postponing their interviews, they're like writing to Andrea, I can do this now. I can do this now. And everybody shows up and says, you know what? This was like the highlight of my day just to talk about something positive. Absolutely. Well, and thank you for the wonderful service that you are doing for so many people in sharing your words and the words of your guests worldwide. Well, well it, that's my passion. That is that is my joy. So, Catherine, you'll come back again and hang out in less, uh, I don't know, emergency <laughs> circumstances. And um, I, as always, I really enjoy being with you on the air and uh, spending some time chatting. We got to have like a like a, a video visit, which was really nice too. So to learn more about the work of Katherine Sanderson, please go to sandersonspeaking.com on Twitter at Sanderson Speaks, right? Yes, exactly. All right. And we'll be back again. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Professor Katherine Sanderson, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Stay safe, healthy, and keep your humor. We'll be back again soon. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. 
To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.